the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Just when it seemed as if the Trudeau liberals might be able to move on from the SNC-Lavalin scandal, there was a new development this past Sunday. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer released a letter from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's lawyer, warning Scheer he may get sued in open court if he doesn't stop making some of the accusations he's leveled against the Prime Minister. Scheer's response was, bring it and is referring to this as a bullying tactic. Scheer also said repeatedly this past week he would look forward to having it out in a courtroom. This is not the first time a prime minister has threatened to sue the opposition. Stephen Harper did it back in 2008, and Jean Chrétien as well a decade before that. Both suits ended up being dropped. Libby Snymer spoke with liberal strategist Charles Byrd, the managing principal of the Toronto office of Earnscliffe Strategy Group, and conservative strategist John Capobianco from Fleischmann Hillard High Road. Well, I think any time you have the Prime Minister of Canada um, accused of criminal activity, then it probably warrants a fairly strong response. There's no doubt that the government would like to move on from the SNC-Lavalin matter and start talking a little more about uh, important priorities for Canadians, whether it's housing or health care or climate change. But if you do have allegations of corruption, especially when they're made by the leader of the opposition, I think uh, a strong response is called for. And we certainly have seen precedents, as you mentioned right off the top. We saw Stephen Harper uh, file a similar motion of intent against Stefan Dion and Michael Ignatieff and Ralph Goodale back in 2008. And, of course, Mr. Kretchen in, uh, I think it was 1997. Or 98, uh, I think. Or 98, with then-opposition leader um, Preston Manning. And so um, as much as they'd like to move on, I think some, some appropriate response was, was required simply because what the leader of the opposition was uh, arguing was that uh, the Prime Minister had been in charge of something approaching a criminal conspiracy. John Capobianco, is this just playing into the Conservatives' hands? Oh, 100%. It's, it's head-scratching to me uh, that uh, that somebody who is doing everything he possibly can to, search, to change the channel on this issue um, uh, and is saying as much uh, in a speech is to say, you know what, we're getting on to the, 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 the topics of the day and issues of the day, and this is behind us, and everybody spoke who was supposed to have, uh, who was supposed to have said anything. Um, uh, so, you know, the Prime Minister and his team are certainly trying to and wanting to change the channel. So this is um, sort of mind-boggling in the sense that, that you know, this is exactly what they're not going to do is, is change the channel on this, because the media are jumping on this. We're speaking about it today. Uh, it'll be the talk of uh, all the uh, pundit shows uh, for the next little while. Um, and and it's, you know, it's an interesting one, though, because, you know, I just, I, I get what my good friend Charles says with respect to, you know, the allegations and, and there's got to be some level of response. Well, that's politics. And I think that if, if the Prime Minister uh, and his committee would have would have allowed people to do their to do their 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 thing and speaking when they needed to be spoken to and and allowed for more debate and more discussions and and more then we wouldn't be into this because I think what's happening is that you know the leader of the opposition is and not just him but but even the the leader of the NDP 
are frustrated in that they're not getting, you know, the, 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 the committee, the Justice Committee keeps shutting down and keeps preventing people who should be speaking to be speaking. So it leads one to believe that there's something going on, uh, which is causing some of this, uh, some of this, um, uh, some of this, some of these problems. Charles Bird, if you were guessing, how long do you think this continues? Libby, my guess is that this matter will sort of just fade away, as has been the precedent before, where charges or letters that have been filed have been quietly dropped. Um, unless Mr. Scheer insists on doubling down in terms of his accusations of criminal activity, and frankly, I'd be surprised. I mean, if he had something uh, to go on in that regard, I'm sure we would have heard about it long since. John, do you agree with that? This thing is going to wind down? Well, I, I don't uh, agree with that. I think it could have. I think there's a lot of opportunities for it to wind down. I think this is going to be something where, you know, the opposition will uh, will 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 keep bringing up, and it's up to the prime minister now to determine if he's going to actually follow through with the with the threat of a lawsuit or not. Uh, and if he does, then that, that that that's even you know more dangerous for the prime minister because then it gets into the courts and, and that gets out of his control. Uh, and if he doesn't, then it looks like he uh, he was just threatening and and uh, and was weak enough and then didn't put it through. So either way, it plays very difficult with him, which is why I'm I'm just uh, uh, just surprised that he would do this. So I don't think it's going to die down. I thought it was going to die down months ago. Uh, in fact, many did after the Justice Committee shut down. They thought it was going to be done. And then, of course, when they resigned and when they got kicked out of caucus, they thought that was going to be the end of it. And, you know, two weeks later, we're still talking about it. So <laughs> That was only last so. week. <laughs> yeah. I know, it feels like forever. I wouldn't recommend um, uh, either Miss uh, Wilson-Raybould or Miss Philpott join another party. I think it would, it would probably hurt their credibility. I think that uh, they would probably do better as independents. I think uh, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould would do far better as an independent in her riding than, than Ms. Philpott would in hers and, and Markham. Um, but, um, but joining another party, I think, would, uh, would, would, would actually cause some, some liberals who actually support them to, uh, to not support them, which I think would hurt them. Liberal strategist Charles Byrd and conservative strategist John Capobianco. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Monday, we posed this question to you. Do you care about the provincial slogan on your license plate or think the current Trillium logo looks like three men in a hot tub? Well, Premier Doug Ford wants to have both changed. Right now, our Ontario plates say yours to discover. But it came out later in the week the new slogan will be a place to grow. And what about the redesigning of the Trillium logo that appears on all government communication? A redesign would apparently cost $90,000. Before we learned about the new slogan, A Place to Grow, Libby invited John Palapchuk, president at Concrete, a creative brand agency, to share his expert view on the rebranding of the license plate and the logo. I think nobody cares until something like this happens. And I think it's because that that it's just a... Uh, you know, it's it's blatantly political propaganda. I mean, it's it's not that, you know, we're not open for business, but what does that have to do with, I mean, it, it comes from his campaign. And so I, I think that in itself disqualifies it for being considered on a license plate. These things last for a long time, you know, and I don't care if you're Doug Ford or if you're a, you know, a liberal government coming in or an NDP government, you shouldn't be using, you know, people's license plates to, uh, to get your political message out there. Uh, I, it's not the first time it's been changed. I believe the last time was 1982, Bill Davis. And at that point, it was keep it beautiful 
which also like the, do these slogans have to mean nothing? <laughs> well, uh, they sh- uh, like what can they possibly do? I, I mean, if if you look at a, a license place across the country, and even if you look at American ones, usually there there's something that that is in, inherent intrinsic about the place, about the province. A thousand lakes in Minnesota. I used to Ex- live there. Exactly. Or the Keystone State. I don't know which one is the Keystone State, but that's that, that's that's one of them. And, you know, so it, it, it's tied into geography or what you feel about the, a particular location. But yeah, uh, Yours to Discover, I think, was tied into an, uh, 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 a, a, a tourist, tourist campaign. Yeah. At some point that's gone, it really is meaningless. It, it You could apply it to any one of our provinces. So, uh, so I, I think people pretty much don't care. Uh, I mean, they're used to it. So th- there's that association with Ontario because it's been there for so long. Um, you know, sometimes you have to change because things are old. Is it a good idea? I, I don't know. Let's get to the question of the logo. We have a nice uh, blown up version of it. So again, for me, I'm thinking... His brand is all about, I'm not wasting your money, and the logo isn't great. I'll say that. <laughs> but why Why would you want to go and spend money to change it if that's probably just going to annoy your base? I, I think whenever you rebrand anything, the reasons you do it is to mark some kind of change. And so obviously, uh, with changing the slogan, this is a part and parcel of that. So doing everything at once. So yeah, I, th- I think there was a, a lot of criticism of the existing logo when it came out. Uh, nobody can see anything but three men in a hot tub now. Especially <laughs> after we flagged that, yeah. Uh, but the, th- the, the thing about the, the Trillium, you know, that that is something that is uniquely Ontario, so it's appropriate to be on there. Uh, the, the previous one before this, uh, I mean, it, it's, it was never a flag, but it had that kind of quality. It was very sort of iconic, symbolic uh, of a trillium. Uh, this current one has lost that. So uh, I'm not against... Should we go back to the old one? I would, absolutely. Just uh, go back to the old one, save money? Um, you know, uh, hey, uh, I'm, I'm all about spending money. It's, it's what I do for a living. But, right. but, 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 but yes, if, if you're going to... Yeah, I, th- I think it would be a, 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 a welcome rechange to, to bring back the old one. But this really does go against his own brand. I mean, the, whatever they end up doing, but the, the whole process of, of, of changing anything. Uh, like, why is he spending his time even considering any of this? I mean, he's in there to, 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 to get rid of waste, wasteful government spending. That's what he's about, which is a great thing. I think uh, people would agree. Um, so why is he doing this? I mean, it's it's hard for him to justify this and and then then cutting other things that we perhaps need. That was John Palapchuk, president at Concrete, a creative brand agency. His conversation took place with Libby before we learned of the new license plate logo, A Place to Grow. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. On Monday, Toronto police launched a traffic blitz targeting motorists who speed called Slow Down Toronto. The focus is on roads with posted speed limits above 50 kilometers an hour. We've all been told many times that the lower the speed, the better the chances those involved have of surviving a crash. Police are particularly focused on protecting vulnerable road users, including older adults. Toronto Police Traffic Services Sergeant Brett Moore and Sergeant Alexander Cruz stopped by to talk about the campaign. We brought with us the um, the, the latest uh, speed 
measuring uh, equipment for the Toronto Police. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it used to be radar. We've moved up, uh, and it's now using uh, LIDAR, or laser technology, to uh, catch speeding drivers. Very accurate. Officers, uh, we have hundreds of these in the field, and... Um, yeah, it's uh, quite the piece of kit. It leaves almost nothing uh, to the imagination because you're literally putting a, a red dot on the front of the vehicle that you're targeting, mm-hmm. activating the uh, – so you can see the red button there. Yep. And it gives you the exact speed and mm-hmm. the exact distance that that vehicle is away from you. All that's evidence for the court uh, if, it, if it gets to and that it, stage. It and it records it? Absolutely. And so you can walk and show the driver if you need to and uh, the officer makes their notes based on what they see. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's quite the piece of kit. But uh, it's – it's a hand unit. Yes, it is. So you need an officer to be operating it. That's right. Yeah. So I know the Toronto uh, City of Toronto did a pilot project in the fall in regards to uh, automated speed enforcement in school zones. And that's, it's going to be, uh, you don't have to have a person operating it. it. Basically, it's photo radar. And there were some pretty alarming speeds uh, that were captured. For instance, on Renforth uh, Drive, uh, the highest speed that they clocked, and Renforth is a 40-kilometer-per-hour zone, the highest speed that was registered was 202 kilometers I, per hour. I, like, those were eye-popping. Crazy, That's, crazy. I don't, we, we don't even know how they could do that. You know, the, we have so much congestion. How could you even get to that speed? I mean, maybe it was... In well, the early hours of me, the morning. That's intentional. Yeah. You know, 10 kilometers an hour, you might be a little distracted, not aware. But when you're doing 200 kilometers an hour, you're doing that intentionally. We're not just issuing speeding tickets for this week, right? This is something that happens all year round. Last year, we wrote 45,000 tickets in Toronto uh, to drivers. This year, we're on, on our way to in excess of 10,000 uh, already this year. So it's work that happens all the time. Part of a traffic campaign, though, is about enforcement, but it's also about like what we're doing here, trying to get people to change behavior, to think about road safety differently. And really, if you see something to become a sort of a community advocate, if you see a speeder habitually, you catch a plate, you can make a complaint to the Toronto police online uh, and and get involved in that regards. But um, we just need, we know that every kilometer over the speed limit, it reduces the driver's ability to react and slow down stops if something happens in front of them. So, so many things we say speed's a factor, uh, you know, in all of our crashes, because we know that every, you know, the only uh, motorist on our road, or any, the road user that's protected is the driver. Vulnerable road users, 80% of our f- people that were killed in Toronto on our roads, 80% of them were vulnerable road users. And 43% of those, of, of again, those people who were killed, it happened on speeds up f- above 50 kilometers an hour. Big roads, right? So we know it, speed's a factor. We have, and we are working with the City of Toronto and through the Vision Zero team there at Toronto Transportation. And they for this campaign, they've provided us uh, corridors that, that have sort of jumped out in terms of the collision data that they've got. And so officers have been given those collision corridors okay. or those speed corridors. We have only a few seconds left, but why don't you give us a few uh, Well, we're going to hang on to those for us, for, for, for officers You're not to telling. deploy. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, Alex has got the page open here. Literally, I'd be surprised if there's a division or a district that is not represented. So what it shows is it's not one isolated area. Yeah. I'm looking at them here, one district, two district, three, four, five districts. Oh, but you won't tell us so we can't, we can't just slow down when we hit those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we want you to slow down everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. we, we do know that Waze and a different, some of these other apps out there that sort of flag some of our locations. So uh, we know that to be a challenge sometimes as well. But um, no, it's, it, it is a, a, a challenge across the city. Anything you want to leave us with? Just an interesting statistic. If a vehicle hits a pedestrian at 30 kilometers an hour, the likelihood of survival is 95%. If that car is doing 60 kilometers per hour, the likelihood of survival drops to 
10%. So we wow. really have to watch our speed when it comes to vulnerable road users. Toronto Police Traffic Services Sergeants Brett Moore and Alexander Cruz. The slowdown Toronto campaign ends tomorrow. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. If you take vitamin D, this segment is for you. Until recently, vitamin D was thought to be a wonder vitamin, offering many health benefits. But a lot of what's been said about the benefits of taking vitamin D have now been debunked by some new studies. While the suggested dosage is 1,000 international units a day, many people have thought that doubling or tripling the dosage would be even better. But not so. And making news is a cautionary tale of a 54-year-old man who's been left with permanent kidney damage after taking between 8,000 and 12,000 IUs of vitamin D a day. Pharmacist and assistant professor at U of T, John Papasturgio, stopped by to offer up some advice about vitamins and supplement consumption. I remember that time where it wasn't only take vitamin D, but it was take a lot of vitamin D. And I think that theory has been debunked. There's always been this idea that if something's available over the counter, if it's natural, if it's a vitamin, it's safe to take in as much as you want. And that's that's definitely not the case. And it's not the case for many uh, vitamins and minerals. But with respect to vitamin D specifically... We know it's important, especially in Canadians, anyone living in a northern climate, because we don't get a lot of sunlight in the uh, in the That's winter months. That's where it normally comes, in sunlight. That's right. So your body will make it naturally uh, uh, using the sunlight. And why vitamin D is important, it helps to take calcium that's found in your body and kind of help it attach to the bone. So it makes your bones stronger. So it's very important for the mobilization of calcium. Uh, people that are at high risk for osteoporosis may need a little bit more. Generally, uh, you said it there, it's about a thousand units a day for people that want to take it as a supplement. If you're very high risk, maybe 2000 units. Now this guy, the case report, I read it as well. 12,000 units a day. I've never seen that. That's uh, an extremely well, high amount. Well, it's I mean, if you read down, his naturopath told him to take a lot, but he took even more, more. than the naturopath told him to. But, you know, um, I'd have to say, I mean, I wouldn't want to be listening to that naturopath. No, absolutely not. I've, I hear these stories of naturopaths giving vitamin D drips in certain situations of cancer. It makes me very, very nervous. You've got to, I think you've got to be very careful, especially when you're taking amounts that aren't indicated on the bottle. Ask your pharmacist, are there certain situations where we may need you to take more? Absolutely. But 12,000 units, that's ridiculous. And we know vitamin D, uh, as A, D, E, and K, they're fat-soluble vitamins. So those are very different, like, than B complex, which you you pee out if you take too much, those ones will kind of accumulate in your fat and in your body. And uh, uh, in the case of vitamin D, they could cause calcification in your kidneys because remember, it's moving calcium around, right? You're asking for trouble. When it comes to vitamin D, have you seen a drop-off in recent years since those oh, latest? Yeah, I remember a time where docs were even doing like vitamin D levels when you would go in. Oh, right, right, And they right, were recommending yes. it. Um, I used to see it on scripts. It's dropped off dramatically. I think uh, the message is probably slowly getting out there that you don't need tons of it. Do we need it in, in the you know, in Canada, in the northern uh, countries? Absolutely, yeah. You need probably a supplement, but don't go wild. Don't go wild. Yeah. Again, this crazy case uh, just... That should never have happened. I don't know what that naturopath was thinking. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately, you know, I'm not sure if where he was buying his uh, vitamin D from. And that, that he must have been using a lot, so buying a lot. Uh, I would have hoped the pharmacist would have caught that, maybe asked a few questions around it and been able to stop it. But um, 
Yeah. What happened there, I imagine, is he got calcification in his kidneys just because he was taking so much vitamin D. So it was causing him to absorb a lot of calcium. And uh, uh, that will happen. And unfortunately, that damage that's done to those kidneys, it's once it's done, it's irreversible. Now they just got to really, really, you know, protect the kidneys going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, that is a really sad situation. But I think it, it will serve to make people understand. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that people think that if something is over the counter, and it's something you're so familiar with, that it's completely benign, and you can just, you know, go ahead and take whatever you think is right. And that is just not the case. Well, I had a patient that uh, went into renal failure because of uh, ibuprofen. She's taking regular ibuprofen, then the combo pr- products that are in the coffin cold. And she was doing this for a while. Same thing, put you in acute renal failure. You got to be careful. Uh, These ingredients are found in multiple products. And once you exceed the maximum dose, it can be very, very dangerous. That was pharmacist and assistant professor at the University of Toronto, John Papasturgio. I'm Jane Brown. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Diane in Toronto phoned to share her views on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Trudeau's credibility is so low. This is a government that still will not pay Toronto the millions upon millions that they owe for the asylum seekers And we have no confidence that he's going to come through with anything else. Pat, in Etobicoke, called to talk about Premier Ford's new license plate plans. Why in heck are we going there? We're we're crying for money for the housing for the immigrants. And then we're turning around and we're spending money on license plates. Why even go there? And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. Great calls, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Diane in Toronto, who reminded us of the transit promises made in the past. When I was 16, I had to start taking the subway to get to university. And over the five years, uh, increasing uh, concern was expressed with the crowding at Young and Bloor more and more every year. And they started talking about a relief line. I am now 67 years old, retired, and they're still talking about a relief line. That does it for today's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackzoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again tomorrow at the same time when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Michelle Saunders, Justin Eacock, and Kelly Robotham. <laughs> 